Welcome to another edition of Mornings with Matthew. I'm Matthew Tregesser, and joining me today are two FAIR employees. FAIR is Julia Post. Welcome, Julia. Thanks, Matthew. And also, our brand new employee, Preston Hennikins, who works in our Government Relations Department. Glad to have you on today, Preston. Happy to be here. To begin today's show, we'll begin with a segment called You Won't Believe This. What? So in this segment, we'll talk about something that was misleading or highly controversial uh, in politics for the week. So today we'll be talking about the highly contested uh, citizenship census question that the Supreme Court recently heard oral arguments for. Um, So there are a lot of angles and nuances with this issue, but uh, I kind of want to go over what our organization thinks about this and, you know, the advantages including this question brings to the nation, but also just for the census in general. Um, So for those unfamiliar with this issue, uh, every 10 years, a census is taken to count the nation's population and to determine the the demographics of the country. So it helps us construct policies and just assess the people living in our country. Uh, We assess kind of the age, uh, sex, race, demographic questions like that. So it's it's super instrumental uh, for the country. So now the Trump administration wants to add a question about citizenship for the 2020 census. And it's gotten a lot of blowback, especially by people on the left, uh, open borders advocates. And so there's been a lot of debate about this. So Preston and Julia, what are your initial thoughts about this? Are there what are the advantages of adding the citizenship question to the 2020 census? Uh, I say first that, you know, this isn't um, a remarkable change proposed by the administration. Uh, Every household was asked uh, this some form of this question uh, up until 1950. And uh, this question has been included um, in the American Community Surveys, which are sent out every year to a select group. Uh, So it's not unprecedented. And uh, like you suggested, uh, it will help, uh, I think, the U.S. get a sense of what the composition of our foreign-born population looks like. Uh, it's projected in 2020 that 14 percent of the U.S. will be foreign born. The last time we had a number that high was in 1910. Uh, and in 1910, in that year, we asked that uh, that question. So I think it'll be very helpful. And I think uh, one of the top problems with the census question is when you look at uh, arguments that have made in the past about uh, Democrats particularly using the immigrant populations as a voting power and additional voting clout. Uh, when you look at where these people go when they when illegal immigrants tend to come into our communities, they go to cities in certain states. And uh, when those people are counted in the census, if they're not being counted as illegal uh, aliens, uh, they're going to add to the overall population of the state, which is going to uh, it's going to affect redistrict- redistricting and uh, the apportionment of seats in Congress. So you're, they will effectively be using their illegal populations to gain more political power at the expense of states in the middle of the country that don't have as high illegal populations. Right. And the one thing I don't, I don't understand is, you know, many on the left continue to say, you know, this will cause a chilling effect to um, illegal aliens if you include this question. They're not going to want to uh, mark their citizenship status. And then, you know, they just won't answer the survey at all, which could undercount the population numbers and then that could obviously affect a lot of public policy decisions. But the one thing that people are forgetting is, you know, you don't put your name on the survey when you answer the survey. It's anonymous. And also federal law protects the information in the census. So you can't, it's not just publicly available and people are going to hunt you down because you marked that you were here 
illegally. And I, I think that's one th misconception that the media has not really addressed is, you know, it, it's a very private survey. And uh, if that was the case, if there was this chilling effect, we would see that reflected in the ACS data, which we don't. Right. Uh, people still answer that. So and for, for our listeners out here, what is the ACS? Uh, the ACS is a uh, survey run by the Census Bureau that goes out to about 2% of American households every year. Uh, and it's kind of a mini census in a way. It's so right. the way that the Census uh, Bureau's statisticians kind of come up with these models. Uh, and it also helps them kind of prepare for the big mm -hmm. um, census every 10 years. So uh, like I was saying, you know, we already asked uh, the citizenship question on that particular, uh, um, on the ACS. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, there's no chilling effect. People answer it truthfully, you know, to the extent we're aware, answer it truthfully and answer it uh you know, no one's not filling it out, that kind of thing. Right. And I mean, I think there's just such a benefit to having the census question, because when you look at our research team, they have such a hard time collecting particularly state data on any kind of information regarding illegal populations in the country, because the states, you know, possibly on purpose, don't collect this kind of data. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you're looking at that, as far as apportioning federal funding to these states and to uh, what they're, you know, money that is being allotted from taxpayer funds, you know, you're looking at really an unfairness to the rest of the American people when we're not collecting data that we could be getting. Right. Well, I mean, the, the federal funding, you know, that is granted to states annually is based on population. So, you know, states like California with huge illegal alien populations, they're most likely receiving larger amounts of federal funding. I think almost every year a trillion dollars in federal funding is allocated to states uh, based on population. So it's crucial we know who's a citizen and not a citizen and, you know, should you know, funding be allocated more to states that have more legal residents or U.S. citizens. The biggest problem is that it incentivizes these states to allow more illegal populations and it incentivizes the proliferation of sanctuary cities in those states because they want to bring people in. They want them to be counted when they feel like it, when it gets them more federal funding or if it gets them more representation in Congress. But then when it comes to, you know, possibly benefiting the American people, then all of a sudden the roadblocks go up and, hey, we don't want to count these people as uh, whether, you know, what their status is. So I think that's very telling as to what they're trying to do by manipulating this data. Right. And, you know, what I understand, again, is, you know, you have Senator Kamala Harris tweeting over the weekend uh, that basically adding this question is a quote unquote blatant attempt to suppress immigrant families from being counted in our nation. Uh, and then she also added that Congress should act to ensure the integrity of the census is protected. I mean, does she not see the advantages that, you know, adding this question can bring to not only, you know, people living in the states, but also, you know, you know for government decision making? Right. And the senator's point doesn't make a whole lot of sense because we already ask whether or not people are immigrants by asking them if they're foreign-born. Right. That that's that's been a question on the census for uh, as long as I think it's been issued. So, it, you know, asking if you're a sit if you're foreign-born and then following it up by asking if you're a citizen is not a you know stretch. <laughs> That's a great Absolutely. point. Yeah, I think, and it also, you know, she's clearly not thinking about this in terms of the growing crisis on the border, but, uh, you know, the, framing it as, oh, we're not encouraging immigrant families to come forward and be a part of our community is not really the conversation that we're even, we even should be having. The, the conversation we should be having is, do the American people have a right to know who is in their country uh, and who's coming in? I mean, if these people just continue to come in and the government's not holding them accountable to answering for themselves whether or not they're here, it just allows the problem to grow. 
Right. And get this. So other countries, they include this question on their, you know, annual census or however, you know, how many censuses they have. But uh, Spain, Mexico, Canada, Ireland, these are other countries that include the citizenship census question. Uh, And even the United Nations recommends it. And so it, it, it baffles me that that, again, it's something that there's so much opposition to. And I think for the president's purposes and the administration's purposes, it's a crucial question that we really need to be asking uh, if we're going to move forward and ever fixing some of the problems that we have in our immigration system. All right. So those are some great points that Julia and Preston made there. And the Supreme Court actually won't have to make a decision until late June. So we'll keep you guys updated on that. Uh, Moving along, we'll move to a segment called the weekly number. In this segment, uh, we'll be discussing a number that I think is super crucial for the immigration debate and for our listeners out there to understand. So this week, I've chosen the number 415,000. So this number represents the number of individuals um, that were suspected of overstaying their short-term visitor visas in fiscal year 2018. So this is a huge number. um, And and to put this in perspective, 415,000, that's the size of a a large city like Cleveland or New Orleans. So it's a, it's a large number of people. And this is just in one year, one fiscal year. Uh, so Preston, what are your thoughts on that number? And do you see it dropping anytime soon? So the good news that we got out of the um, visa overstay report is that there were less uh, suspected overstays than last year, um, which is a good sign. Uh, but as we all know, uh, you know, people that overstay their visas make up a um, huge proportion of the illegal population in the United States. Uh, in some ways, it is, you know, it's pretty easy to just come in on a tourist visa and never leave. Um, and one, uh, you know, figure from that report that stands out to me is the amount of students and exchange visitors who are overstaying. Uh, about 3.7% of all students admitted on F visas um, on exchange people who come in on J-1 visas are overstaying. And, um, you know, that's a really big population. And those are also people who likely want to remain in the U.S. after having studied here for a number of years. Right. Now, Julia, um, I know that the Trump administration has proposed uh, this new proposal to ho- hopefully curb down this number. Um, I'm not sure if you saw that recently where officials will target uh, nations that have overstay rates greater than 10%. Right, right. So I'm really happy to see the Trump administration moving on this particular issue and immigration reform. Uh, I know they focus a lot on the wall. I know that was his original campaign promise was building the wall. The wall is definitely an important aspect, but sometimes I fear that it draws attention away from the other uh, loose points in our immigration system. And then we focus all on the wall because it's cool, but we don't talk about something like visa overstays, which, you know, might, might sound like less sexy in a news headline uh, than build the wall, but it's also a really important part that, that we need to be focusing on. Uh, and, w- and what the president's really doing is, you know, he's saying, you, hey, other countries, you need to respect our laws. Your people, uh, you know, they're coming here for opportunities, educational opportunities or experience. Um, maybe they will uh, apply to become citizens. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe we'll provide that opportunity for them. But for them to come here and basically move in without being invited to or without legally having the authority to uh, really undermines our immigration system. And it's an insult to our country, I think. Yeah, absolutely. For our listeners out there, administration officials will target nations that have overstay rates greater than 10%. So this includes Afghanistan, Chad, Nigeria, um, and a, a bunch of other uh, African nations. But um, it's, it's good to see that they're trying to crack down on this. And 
According to Pew Research, 45% of illegal aliens in our country right now came through visa overstays. So that's a pretty sizable number, yeah. especially if, if this occurs annually. I th and I think that reflects that the, the border wall is important, again, but that it's not the only flood point where people are coming in and that the visa overstays are a huge problem. Uh, but I think, you know, that hopefully targeting these nations and, and incentivizing them to really uh, enforce the laws that we're proposing when their people come here, because it's a great opportunity for them to have their people coming here learning in our education system. Uh, and, you know, hope, I guess their hope is that those people will come back and then help them to grow their own communities. Uh, the, the, that's a great program if it works, but if they all just stay here, take jobs here that they weren't really authorized to come in and take, uh, that creates a problem here and also a brain drain in their own countries. So that really doesn't help anyone. So that was definitely an alarming figure to see 415,000 short-term visitor visa overstays in fiscal year 2018. We're hoping that Congress can act better on this issue and help uh, decrease this number. For our next segment, we'll transition to guest perspectives, where I had the pleasure to interview Peggy Davis, who is a cattle rancher near the U.S.-Mexico border. Peggy has seen firsthand the effects of illegal immigration in her own backyard, and let's take a listen to that interview now. And so going off of that, I mean, you've lived around this area for, you know, decades now, um, and you still have, you know, politicians, especially on the left, or you have, you know, journalists who are in New York or Boston, very far away from the border, who've never been to the border, they keep saying that this crisis is manufactured. There really is no real crisis. Um, can you explain to our listeners here, you know, if it is a crisis or not? And, you know, I think it's really good that we're getting a perspective from someone who actually lives near the border and, and who has seen, um, you know, these surges and illegal immigration levels for, for decades now. Right. Well, when you have the experience of seeing the the traffic and how it ebbs and flows over the years and you know that the drug cartels um, really decide who comes across the border. Who do they let, you know, and who do they not let come across this border? So we've got, um, you know, the advantage of history to see that. But it is an emergency. It has been an emergency for a number of years. It's just, and that's why people in the heartland of America are having problems now. Uh, you have to look at it that way. If if they would have listened to us with these problems 20, 25 years ago, you wouldn't have the problems that you have now right. in the interior of the United States. It is a crisis, and what people don't understand is because the border is so vast and the terrain is so different all along the southern border that and where it's a really critical at one point, it'll be soft in another, but it changes back and forth. Um, you know, it moves. It's um, it's like a um, a river that's flowing, looking for an easy place to go. Um, and you know, that's what water will do. Well, that's mm -hmm. what these people do. They look for the path of least resistance. And somebody in um, South America is is bringing them up here and transporting them. And I've seen a lot of migrants in my life here. And those people on, that are coming in for asylum, they are being clothed and fed, and they do not look like your average starving migrant. Right. That's not what's coming. And, and I'm glad you brought that up because I actually have some figures here. This is from the Washington Examiner. 
Uh, so they have calculated that in the Yuma sector, which is one of the nine sectors along the southern border, yes. that uh, diapers, form- food formula, and basic medical care will cost $1.2 million just for this year. And so that's just one out of nine sectors along the border. And it, it's really interesting to see because, like you said, it's, you know, they're getting very, very good health care, medical care. And it's for some, it's the first they've ever seen because, you know, they're coming from rural highlands in Guatemala, um, you know, yep. from very impoverished yep. areas. And, you know, you have to question where this money is coming from. And is it only going to increase as, you know, family units um, are becoming the, the popular type of, uh, you know, migrant coming across now? It's not just, you know, young, single males. It's, it's family units. And the, the, the drug cartels are ruthless. You've got to understand that culture. It, people, people in the United States don't understand cartel narco culture. Mm-hmm. They are not very soft-hearted. They are ruthless, and they will use a child just like anybody else. And they, I mean, 10 years ago in Mexico City, the abduction rate of uh, children was crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they were stealing children then. They steal them now, kidnap them, and put them into these groups. And, you know, these are our children. We're seeking asylum. And a lot of those children do not belong to those people. Right. It's just a brutal culture that is, you know, we're, we're, let me back up a minute. We are always condemned because we're not soft-hearted enough. And they are... They take the cake on that. It's just unbelievable. It really is. What they do in their own culture. So if you had 30 seconds with the president right now, President Trump, what would you ask him to do to help uh, improve this crisis? Is it the wall? Is it you know our immigration laws? Is it more Border Patrol agents? In your mind, from someone that's living close to the border for many decades now, what would you think would be the best solution for the president to you know, implement? Or what would, you, what would be your call to action to him? Well, it's a multifaceted problem, but off the top of my head, he was right on point to shut down the border. Mm-hmm. I know why he doesn't. I know why he's giving them time. Um, my senators won't even agree with that because they get pressure from the local communities near the border, and it's the economy. It'll wreck the economy. There's just this big fear of wrecking the economy. Right. But in my my amateur opinion... It's a short-term solution for a long-term gain. If you put the pressure on Mexico, they, they need to take some responsibility for this, too. And they need to stop those people coming through. And the only way to do that is to shut down that border and put the pressure on them. And I don't think it would take very long for them to get the point. But I, I understand why he's doing what he's doing. I would totally agree. You know, I, it's a shame that Mexico is not doing more to help with this immigration crisis. I mean, I really wish uh, Trump would place more pressure on them. I mean, he has over the course of his presidency, but, you know, still, we're, we're still seeing record numbers of, of migrants come to the southern border. And we can only hope that the president puts even more pressure on the Mexican government to cooperate. Well, we all know that if he had a little help from Congress, it would make things a whole lot easier. They could fix this problem in a week if they wanted to. There's not been the will in Washington to do it. There still isn't. And I'm not talking about the president. I'm talking about Congress. And 
because they aren't willing to help and because they really want open borders, a lot of them, it's it's not going to change. He's not going to be able to to put a stop to it. I also would urge him. Here's another thing that I'm I'm trying to think of things that he could personally do. Mm-hmm. I think he could put pressure on increasing uh, border patrol employees, new hires, um, because they're understaffed. Uh, they're they're even under their minimums right now. Right. And if if he could. Um, put pressure on and asking for uh, people coming back, soldiers coming back from Afghanistan, uh, for example, that they could fast-track them right into the Border Patrol. We've been asking for that for years. Uh, I've talked to Senator McCain about that personally. I've talked to Martha McSally about it personally. Um, I, I just think that would be really helpful if they could increase and, and get people there who have been trained to do so and could do it pretty quickly. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have this week. Tune in next week for another edition of Mornings with Matthew. For more immigration news, check out fairus.org.